Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that although it's storming outside and it's dark and raining a lot, that we got here. It's hard to get here on a rainy Sunday morning. We're thankful that we're here, God. We thank you for a building, shelter, lights. And Father, it all finds its meaning in the fact that you have spoken. And we're here today, God, because we want to to know what you've said. We want to know what you're saying. We want you to, we ask you, God, to give us grace and strength to believe it. Father, your word is powerful. Your word changes us. Your word uh, goes deep down into us and cuts us up and, and causes us to respond. We ask God for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. I believe that's like page 67 or 68 or 69 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we ask you to grab one of those black Bibles there in front of you in the pew. It's somewhere close to page 68 or 70. Exodus chapter 24. Last week in my sermon, I mentioned how important communication was. I referenced anybody that's married knows that communication is important. Really, anybody that has a relationship knows that communication is important. Even a friendship you might have, you haven't talked to that person in a while, then the relationship, it might not have gone bad, but it certainly has gone distant. And so, communication is important. Many of us can relate to a situation where you're just going through one of those seasons. Life's got you down. Maybe not, maybe not in a bad way, but life's just hard. Maybe you're tired. Life's complicated. Life's busy. Life's full. There's been some changes in life. And you find yourself just needing to settle down a little bit. And you're searching. And uh, whether it's a phone call or, or sitting down over a meal or something, <clears throat> God opens up a door for you to sit or talk with a good loved one. You spend some time talking and, <clears throat> excuse me, you spend some time talking and you realize that this is good. I'm enjoying this. And normally you're kind of quick or swift to get through the conversation, make sure they're doing all right. They make sure you're doing all right. You leave it to five to ten minutes. You get off the phone and you hurry back to it. But in the course of that conversation, you're kind of like some type of medicine type stuff's going on right now. This is making me feel better. And so you continue to talk. Conversation goes on for 20, 30 minutes. Next thing you know, <clears throat> next thing you know, you're kind of comforting each other. You find yourself being strengthened through this conversation. Next thing you know, you've been on the phone or you've been talking. Y'all been catching up for a good hour. Just a conversation, just communication. And what started off is how you doing? How's the family? How's work? How's life? Has now turned into opening up your hearts. And here's kind of what we're dealing with now. And here's some of my struggles and my frustrations. And but you end that conversation, you end that phone call thinking, wow, that was, that was good for me. Wasn't really much to it. We just talked. Good long talk. But it was good for me. And you've come to know in life, if you've had that, those type of experiences, you come to know in life that communication really is good for you. 
Perhaps right now you're thinking, I need one of those. I need one of those good conversations with somebody that I know loves me right now. If you're a Christian, you know in a very real sense. That's what it's like with God on a regular basis. Now, I'm not saying every day you go to the Bible and get that awesome feeling of God just spoke to me. But I am saying that we have come to know that this book is the revealed word of God. Here is where he speaks. Going and sitting alone. Oh, thank you very much, Pat. Go and sitting, going and sitting alone somewhere and asking for God to speak to you out of the clouds often doesn't work. But going to the word of God by faith, in prayer, trusting in him, knowing that he has spoken does. I trust that many of you have found great rest and great peace. And great strength for your heart, your soul, your life, your family. Through finding time saying, I I need, I need to spot, I need to talk to God. Carving out a little 30 minute window in your day to get alone and shut the door. Get into the Word. At our house with four little ones, there's very little time for that to happen. But sometimes we'll be able to send the kids outside. I can go outside with them and try to handle it for just a few minutes because that's all I can take. And Val can get a little alone time inside where it's nice and peaceful and quiet. And she can pray or she can read her Bible. And you know that those moments are dear. They are invaluable. In the Bible today, we see in Exodus 24... As God is bringing the covenant relationship to his people on his terms. People coming to know God through what God is revealing. Last week was Exodus 20, right? Where God comes to the mountain and tells Moses to come to the mountain. God comes and God gives the Ten Commandments. If you were here last week, that's what I preached on. The God giving the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Well, after that, what happens is the people say, Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore. We're going to die if he speaks to us. That's not a bad thing. They're recognizing this God Almighty. He says, we want, they say, we want to hear from God, but don't let him speak directly to us. We can't handle that. So they say, Moses, you go talk to him and come back and tell us. And so in chapters 21 and 22 and 23, you have more laws given, more than the 10. We're going to skip over that. You can read that if you want to, but just laws given, laws about slaves and laws about uh, forgiving people and laws about paying people and laws about days and laws about Sabbath and festivals and laws about sexual relationships and laws about social justice. God is giving those. He's not speaking them straight to the people now. He's giving them Give them to Moses, and Moses is going to come back and tell the people. But as we skip ahead to chapter 24, you're going to see that God is entering into a relationship 
with His people based off of what God has said. And I want to challenge you here today. Do you have a relationship with God based off of what He has said? I I bet that many of you would affirm a relationship with God. But I want to challenge you here today if it's not based off of the way you think or the way you feel or the way you were raised. Now, I hope that the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you were raised is based off of what God has said. But I want to challenge you here today to learn from Exodus 24 that your relationship with God is only as strong as it is accurate to what God has spoken. May we be a people of the book. A people of the Word of God. Many of you, most of you, have become very, very faithful people to hearing the Word preached. We preach through the book. We've been in Exodus now for a long time. Before that, we were in another, another book for a really, really long time. And y'all are learning that all we are are people who believe what God has said. And so therefore, we have to go to it. We cannot be people of the book if we never are around the book. And so reading it on our own, listening to it and being here to hear our preacher preach it are things that are very key, important to making us strong believers. We are people of the word of God. Today, I want to give you two points, three, sorry, three points. An invitation from God. A relationship with God. And then a relationship with God is one that rejoices in seeing and knowing and delighting in God's glory. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him. Let's stop there. The first point I want you to hear today is an invitation from God. God is in many ways large and mysterious. God is in many ways far off. And yet at the same time, the Bible teaches us that he is near and that he is a friend and that he is personal. God is complex and yet God is simple. God is big and God is strong, yet He is a person. And the Bible teaches us throughout that God is a God that invites. God is a God who has an invitation. Notice here that we have Moses and the people of Israel. Where are they? Where they were just in Egypt as slaves. They've been complaining and sinful the whole time. God has rescued them through the ten plagues with Pharaoh. He has set them free from slavery. And they are traveling now to a land that He has promised to them that they really in many ways have no idea about. They are just to be following Him. And they are following God's leading. And it is through that that God has come to them now. And you hear things like this, come up to the Lord. God speaking to Moses and others, come up to me. What an invitation. Invitations are sweet. It's nice to get in the mail an invitation to a wedding. It is really nice to to get in the mail an invitation to a birthday party. 
Yesterday, the boys were invited to a birthday party of somebody that lives in the neighborhood. It was great. They were there, I think, eight hours. There was a bouncy house. And they were there eight hours. And I tell you, it was like the highlight of their week, a bouncy house for eight hours. If you're a five, six-year-old boy, that is it. They were, yesterday was hot and humid. They were drenched with sweat, but they didn't stop. Bouncy house all day long. When you get that invitation, birthday party with a bouncy house, you're like, yes. And us as parents were like, yes, they were gone for eight hours. (laughs) But an invitation, as you know, is so nice. When somebody says, hey, we'd like to have y'all over for dinner. Y'all free this weekend to come over to our house for dinner? We're going to cook a meal. You don't need to bring anything. Just come over. That, that, That feels good, does it not? Invitations are nice. The Bible tells us time and time again that God... Invites people. I know you know the ones in the New Testament that say, All who come to me, I will in no way cast out. Or, Whoever believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. But I want to remind you of a few others. What about that one in Matthew chapter 11 that says, Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What if the world, what if our world knows about that invitation from the Lord Jesus? He is just in the verses before that giving such a strong uh, uh, teaching session on what it means to know God and have a relationship with Him. Jesus says that nobody knows the Son except the Father. And nobody knows the Father except those who the Father has chosen to reveal the Son to. This crazy statement on the sovereignty of God and salvation. It is God in Matthew chapter 11 who says who gets to know Jesus and who gets to know the Father through Jesus. God must do that. And the very next verse in Matthew 11, He says, Come to Me, anybody that is tired and worn out and life is just one of those lives and Life is hard and frustrating. You're weary and burdened and your shoulders are weighed down. Come to me and I will give you rest. Now I want to make sure that the the Christianity that you are portraying and your family members that maybe don't love Jesus or don't go to church, they need to hear the full message. But are they getting the part of the message that says, man, God is inviting you. God is inviting you to come to Him, to know Him, to take His yoke upon you, and to learn from Him that He is easy, His burden is light. That's what He says. Or what about the one that that I'm sure you've heard of before, well known in Isaiah chapter 55? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come, come to God. Where whatever it is that you're lacking will be met. And all of our needs are met in Him. Come to the God who has promised that He will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You remember at the well when He told her that whoever would come and drink of Him would never thirst again? Does life have you thirsty now? Does life seem to be something that you can't catch up to and it's just never fulfilling and all you do is give and give and give and give and it just never seems to 
satisfy you. And yeah, you're a Christian, but you don't get how you're never satisfied. You're more bitter and frustrated than you are content. Can you hear afresh today that God is inviting? That God is saying, come. In Exodus 24, after God has come to the mountain and given out the the stipulations of the covenant relationship with Him, which we understand very well through the Ten Commandments. Here at 24, he says, Moses, come up to the Lord. God is going to do the work. God is going to pave the way of how we can have a relationship with Him. This will make more sense as we keep going. I want you to hear today that God is inviting you to know Him. God is inviting you to be satisfied. God is inviting you to everlasting joy. God is inviting you to quenched thirst in life. Would you accept the invitation? Would you say, you know, I'm, I've never been. I've, he's invited me a lot, but I've, I've never been. Would you say, I want to hear the invitation of God? What he is inviting us to is a relationship. Look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So, let's remember this a little bit. In Exodus chapter 19, God has come down to the mountain and God tells Moses to come to the mountain. So, Moses goes. And he comes up there. And he tells the people to stay around the bottom of the mountain. And then God speaks and gives him the Ten Commandments. No, no, sorry, sorry. God speaks the Ten Commandments directly to the people. The voice of God, boom, to the people. And they hear the Ten Commandments. Remember the big, strong, sturdy, firm Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no graven images and worship them. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy for rest. Honor your father and mother. Do not uh, commit a murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness and do not covenant. God has given these rules. And then their response is, no. They were afraid. God, we don't want you to speak to us. Moses, you start going to him, hear what he says, and come back and tell us. That's what happened. Exodus 19, Exodus 20. So then Moses does that. He goes and he gets all of that that is in the rest of chapter 20 and chapter 21 and chapter 22 and chapter 23. God has given out all of these laws, more of the the stipulations or the requirements for the covenant relationship with God. If you want to have a relationship with God, it is based off of all of these laws and information that God has spoken. And at chapter 24 here at verse 3, Moses comes back. And tells the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. In other words, God is communicating more and more with the people so to have a relationship with them. It says next, And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And then, verse 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Now, you know that we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That's the Pentateuch or the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are written by Moses. If you read them, you will see over and over again where it says, and then Moses wrote, then Moses wrote. You read the book of Leviticus, you will read that countless times, and then Moses wrote. And then Moses wrote. It says this in Deuteronomy, the last of the five books. Okay? 
It says it here in verse 4. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. What God was speaking to Moses, Moses was writing down. And we believe that the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses. Jesus, often in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would say, Moses says this. Moses says this. Moses says this. And when he says that, he quotes something from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's quoting there. Makes perfect sense that Moses wrote this. And that's what we see. Then it says that Moses rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse five. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Now, I want to tell you, there's no priesthood set up yet. So there were no people who had the title and responsibility to go and do this type of sacrifice in order to slay something, to have death, in order to have blood, to appease the wrath and anger of God against their sins. I think you know enough that if there is any sin in humanity, any sin in your life, it the only way it can be made right with God is through a blood sacrifice. That was true then. That is true now. That is always true. There must be blood. There must be death that results in blood for sins to be forgiven. That sounds crazy in 2014. It'll make better sense here in a few minutes. But that's what it's talking about. But there was no Levitical priesthood yet. So he just sends some young men. Verse six, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar, showing that the blood that came out of what was killed has satisfied God. Now, what do he do with the other half? Verse seven. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. Notice that what they're doing to have this relationship with God was based off of what God has said. Now, let me stop there for just a second. There is a lot, a lot of religious activity today. Certainly in the Islamic world, certainly in the Hindu world, certainly here in America with the Mormons. A lot of religious activity here today, and none of that is based off of what God has said. But let me go a little bit further. There's a lot of religious activity in the world, maybe even here in our little town of Fairdale, that is not based off what God has said. Why do you do what you do in the name of God? Can I challenge you today to let your whole life of religion, your whole system of faith, your marriage, your parenting, your family, your work ethic, your spending, everything be based off of what God is revealing. See, all the religious activity that's going on in the world today, not based off the word of God, not only is, is wrong, but it's a waste. It's of no value. We need to see that. Here you have sacrifice and blood and thrown on the altar and all of this. But why is that? Because God has said for them to do this. And their relationship with God is based off what God says. That is why you can tell when somebody is growing in their relationship with Jesus. They get a new affection for the Word of God. You ever seen some of the young girls or young men around here that have recently gotten saved? They, they can't get enough of God's Word. It's one of the joys of my week. Just throughout the week, I have the college students just texting me, hey, we're reading 1 John chapter 5. What in the world does this mean? 
A sin leading to death. What is that? Right? Where does that come from? They're sitting down somewhere reading the Word of God. Their heart is being stirred and grown toward God. Why? Because they're getting into God speaking. Here, the relationship with God that God is forming with them is based solely off of what God is saying. Look at verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Now, this is the second time that they've said this already. They said it up there at verse 3. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They say it again now in verse 7. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Now, I want to ask you to turn back to chapter 19, too. And I want you to see yet again, it's not the first time they've said this. Chapter 19. Verse 8. Chapter 19, verse 8. Well, we can start reading verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is what the people keep saying. Okay, God, whatever you tell us to do, we will do. Three times, 19, 8, 24, 3, and 24, 7, we have heard them say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And under the second point of a relationship with God, I want to give you two little sub-points. Number one, our relationship with God is not based on our promises. Your relationship with God is not based upon your promises. I would bet everybody in the room, most everybody, has made a promise to God in the past and you've fallen through with it. Many a time a pastor has spent, with a, has spent time and sat with a crying church member who is broken over their sin. And what hurts even more is that it's a sin that they had committed before. And they had promised God, I will not do that again. I want to encourage you today that your relationship with God is not based on your promises. Right now with the children, we are reading the Action Bible. It's like a comic book, but it's a good one. It's big and full. We're reading it every night with the boys. We got to the part just two nights ago. Where Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas with a kiss. He's in the garden. He's about to be put on trial. And Peter says, Lord, I'll do anything for you. Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you everywhere. Jesus says, Peter, will you? And we know Peter to be the leader of the apostles, right? The most outspoken, the first one into the empty tomb. Peter is the spokesperson, the preacher at the beginning of the book of Acts. Peter is a bold leader. He walked on water for a little bit. Peter is a warrior for King Jesus. We are proud of Peter. We look to Peter. He's written two books in the New Testament. He is a hero of ours. 
He gives this declaration, a promise. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you want me to go. And Jesus says, really? Tonight, you will deny me three times and then a rooster will crow. Peter says, no, not me. You know what happens that night? As Jesus is arrested and being beaten and taken to put on trial, three different times, the Apostle Peter, our hero, an example in many ways, in some ways, bold and unashamed for Jesus, denies Jesus point blank, face to face with other people. People in the crowd, a woman beside a fire, a man in the courtyard. Peter denies Jesus. You know Jesus. I I saw you with him earlier today. No, I don't. I don't even know who he is. Hey, I saw you following him. You, you, You do follow him. No, I don't. I don't follow Jesus. You're from Galilee. That's how we know that you're a follower of him. You're from Galilee. He said, no, I'm not. Peter just straight up denied Jesus. Folks, our relationship with God is not based on our promises. And I want you to hear that today as a good thing, as an encouragement. As a sinful people, we are often writing checks that we can't cash. We make promises that we can't keep. When it comes to God, we do desire to obey Him, but we still find ourselves at times disobeying. Subpoint number two in our relationship with God is that our relationship with God, though, is based on the promises of God. Our relationship with God is based on the promises of God. If God has said it, you can believe it, that it is true, it is sure, and it will come to pass. If Jesus says whoever trusts in him will be saved, you will be saved. If Jesus says that even though they kill you, you will live, then you can believe that you will live. If Jesus says that everybody who comes to him is safe, then you are safe. If Jesus says that whoever is in his father's hand and is in his hand and nothing can snatch you out of his hand, then you can believe that you will not be snatched. If the Bible says as far as the east is from the west is how far God removes our sins from us, then that's how far our sins are removed from us in the sight of God. Our relationship is based on God's promises, not ours. So let's turn back now to verse 7 of Exodus 24, where it says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. Well, why? Because they want to know what God says. Now, their response to that is that we will do whatever he said and we will be obedient. But they don't understand their hearts. They don't understand their inability to do that. So they need to they need to be learning that it's God's promises that their anchor is in, not in their ability to do it. Now, verse eight. After they made that declaration, Moses took the blood. Remember, he already threw half of the blood on the altar. So he's got half of blood left. He takes the blood and throws it on the people. Now, don't picture a five-gallon bucket and somebody getting like doused, splattered, covered, uh, drenched in blood. Picture a sprinkling of blood upon the people. Yes, a throwing of blood upon the people, but a sprinkling of blood upon the people. Let's read it. Behold, the blood. He threw the blood on the people and he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
John MacArthur says that by this act, Moses, in response to the positive acceptance and assertion of obedience by the people, after hearing the book of the covenant read to them, officially sealed the treaty with blood. Something being killed and blood being shed and seen made the relationship sure. A covenant, one might know, this is a good definition to remember in three words, is a bond in blood. This covenant relationship between these two parties has been made firm through the blood, not through the promises of the people to be obedient. If your heart thinks that your relationship with God is based off your obedience, then you are wrong. R.C. Sproul says, The people are sprinkled with the blood of the covenant, the blood that puts the covenant into effect. The blood signified cleansing from sin so that the people might enter the covenant relation. And it underscored that the ultimate penalty for breaking the covenant was death. How'd the blood get there? Something, some animals had to die. Jesus proclaimed, listen to me. If all of this is confusing, listen to this. Jesus proclaimed the fulfillment of the symbolism at the Last Supper when he offered the cup. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, y'all know what the Lord's Supper is. Here at our church, we take the Lord's Supper communion once a month. We do it on the first Sunday of every month. Uh, we alternate Sunday morning and Sunday night. We set it up here on the table. I come down here. Some men come forward and we serve the Lord's Supper. You, you get the bread, you eat it, you get the drink and you take that. And if you've ever taken the Lord's Supper before, you know that when we say that, we read a passage from the New Testament in which Jesus, on the night before he was, was, was killed, Jesus took bread. He said, this is my body. This bread represents my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the drink. Okay. And he says, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And this blood is a sign of the new covenant, he says. And so what we are seeing here in Exodus chapter 24 with the blood is that the blood is making a is making the relationship sure. There is a relationship that can be had with God. It's not based on your promises. It's based on God's promises. Turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter nine. Now, if you don't know where Hebrews is, I'll I'll take some time. Try to find it. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 16. The author of Hebrews is explaining... How this covenant relationship that we first learn about in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system is is only a temporary system that is pointing us to the permanent and sure system of Jesus Christ as Savior. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. There had to be death. Verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, that's exactly what we're reading about in Exodus. 
He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Keep reading. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. Keep reading verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, listen, as it is, he has appeared once for all, Jesus At the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In Exodus 24, they have sacrificed blood and goats and got the blood from them. And they are putting that there, understanding that they have sinned, understanding that they need a relationship with God. But it is not a relationship with God in which that happens and then they obey and they don't need to do it anymore. That will not work. As you and I know. Our promises to God are not enough to save us, but God's promises to us that we trust in are. So look what it says. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27. And and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In other words, folks, sin never again needs to be dealt with because when Christ dealt with sin on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed, that was the blood spilt to deal with sins forever. And if anybody will believe that, their sins will be forgiven. That is what it means to believe in the promises of God and not in the promises of yourself or the promises in your own obedience. John Piper has said the only way to receive forgiveness is to trust the forgiver. I want to ask you here today, if your religious life If your church life, if whatever it is you believe is formed, your relationship with God is formed by what God has said in the word and knowing that he has said that your obedience and your your own promises cannot save you. But what Christ has done in sacrificing himself is the answer for sin. And I know it is an old song, an oldie but a goodie, but we just sang here in 2014, Jesus paid it all, because at the very heart of that song is the message of God that the promise of God to forgive you of your sins of what Christ has done is the message of God. And I want to ask you here today, 
If you can say boldly and confidently that I know God, I have a relationship with Him, and I quickly ask, well, why? How do you know? And you say, because Jesus has taken my sins away from me. Because I know God based on what Jesus has done, not on what I have done. Yes, we can have a relationship with God. But it is based off of what God has done in Christ, not of what you do. We turn back to Exodus 24 then and we see what comes next. Point number three, that relationship is one that rejoices in seeing God, knowing God and delighting in God's glory. Verse 9 says, Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. Notice, they are coming to God. And they saw the God of Israel. Does everybody see that? See, people think that God is so far off that you can't see Him. There are places in the Bible that have explained that God is so holy. And the Hebrew says He's a consuming fire. And Moses had to wear a veil so he could not look upon God. But here, in God's relationship-forming covenant, He is inviting people up to come and see Him. And it says that they see Him. But then it says after that, there was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. I want to point out here that it doesn't really say clearly, but apparently they didn't really see all of God. They saw something of God and they saw the presence of God. But I think they only saw the feet of God. It doesn't really say anymore. It just mentions this part of his feet. This is very consistent with what the rest of the Bible says about the glory of God. Psalm 96 says <clears throat> splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. If anybody does look on God, they see him as big and strong and powerful. One of my favorite passages at the beginning of Revelation is where John sees Jesus. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he's overcome with his strength and his power and his size and his grandeur. And John lays down in front of him. Here it says they see him. Verse 11. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. You see this? They beheld God. They ate and they drank. Something you see in the Scripture all the time. At the forming of a covenant, at a relationship being established, they sat down, they ate and drank. They beheld God. Now, it doesn't tell us they saw Him in His face, but they were there with God. Folks, do you, do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you hear what He said? Do you know what He's like? Do you know how He loves you? This past week in our men's and women's Bible study, or maybe it was last week, we read from 2 Corinthians in which Paul calls God the Father of mercies. A title that I've come to love. The Father of mercies. And we turn to Lamentations chapter 3, a little small book of five chapters tucked away in the Old Testament written by Jeremiah. Lamentations where his heart is heavy, he's grieving, he's mourning, and he's, he's lamenting over something. And in chapter 3, he goes on and on with how miserable life is. He's become a laughingstock to the world. And in chapter 18 of Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says, I have forgotten what happiness is. A quote that our world is so full of. I have forgotten what happiness is. This is not how I intended my life to turn out. 
is something that I hear people say quite regularly. And just four verses later in chapter, in verse nine, in verse 21, Jeremiah says, but this I remember and therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And when life could not get any worse, life was not what they had expected. He had forgotten what happiness is. He remembered that God loved him. Folks, do you have a relationship with God based off of what he said? These people are sinners. God has invited them up. They hear the, 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 the terms of the relationship, the covenant. They are listening to God. The blood has been spilt. Verse 12 says, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I may give you the tablets of stone. By the way, verse 12, this is the first time that we read in the Bible of the form that the word of God is coming. The tablets of stone. Up until now, we've not seen what form it was going to come to us. Here's the first time that you see tablets of stone. With the law and the commandment which I've written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. Notice that Moses is now up there. He already is in a relationship with this God. God has come down in a Shekinah glory, the glory in a cloud, the glory of God there. And Moses is in that. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Verse 17, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So they're down there on the mountain at the bottom of the mountain. and They're looking up and they see this devouring fire. Hebrews calls it a consuming fire. And Moses is there in that. He has a relationship with God. Verse 18. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And the rest of the book of Exodus, from chapter 25 to the end of the book, chapter 40, is what God tells Moses there. And then Moses comes down and begins to lead the people to the promised land based off of their covenant relationship with God. But let me remind you that the relationship with God is not based off their promises to obey. It is based off God's promises to forgive. I want to ask you here today, is your relationship with God established in what he has said? Are you a Christian because you know you're forgiven? Are you a Christian because, or so-called Christian because you're doing your best? I want to close with this story. If you've watched the news lately, you know that there are a lot of troubling stories going on in the world. You got ISIS in Iraq. You got the shooting of the young man in Ferguson. The riots going with that. Humorous it may be, you got the purge in Louisville. 
But I want to tell you about another. I just found out about this story of what's happening here in Cameroon. Cameroon is a West African nation of 20 people who live amidst standards of human development that rank among the bottom 16% of the rest of the world. Cameroon, West Africa. 10 million Cameroonians profess the Christian faith. That's half the nation. But only 9% of whom regard themselves as evangelicals. Folks, the health and wealth and prosperity gospel is everywhere there. And they think that they're Christians, but they are believing that if they believe enough, then all will go well. And any sign of things not going well in their life is that God is not blessing them because they don't believe enough. That's a false message. That is not a message in the Bible. And if you have friends, even in our city, that believe that, they are wrong. That is not the message of God. We just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1, where Paul says that all of this affliction and all this suffering and all this bad stuff happened to us where I had received the sentence of death. It happened to me so that I would rely on God and not depend upon myself. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So the next time you have a friend because they're all around, they try to tell you that the reason why things aren't going well in your life is because you don't believe. Tell them that they're wrong. And it's inconsistent with the God that you have a relationship with that speaks right here. The story goes on. That only 9% of those Christians consider themselves to be evangelicals. According to Operation World, this great book that tells us about the Christian landscape of every country in the world. It says this. Young people are increasingly restive, frustrated by the unchanging political status quo, the high unemployment and endemic cheating, bribery and favoritism in the education system. Many turn to crime and prostitution and violent demonstrations are occurring in a country that has never before dealt with such disruptions. A representative of the Cameroonian Baptist Convention who welcomed our seven-member delegation to the 2,000 attendee youth camp two weeks ago, this article just came out this week, said this, quote, Only the love of a God could bring you people here. We have Ebola. We have the terrorist group Boko Haram, which you've heard about. We have them at our borders. HIV remains rampant here. And a cholera epidemic has broken out. You will not find us in the tourist brochures. Story goes on to speak about a man whose name I cannot pronounce. His name is Du Dane. Du Dane. He's now in the state studying, studied at Bethlehem Seminary uh, up in Minnesota, and now currently is doing his PhD at Southern Baptist Seminary here in Louisville, a Cameroonian. They invited him back to preach that youth camp of 2000. He hinted in his first message that false, that the prosperity, health and wealth gospel is a false gospel. After that, he had many people say to him that they're unclear on what he meant by that. So the next morning, I read as he continued in 1 Corinthians, he again warned from the word of the from the word of God of the dangers of following prosperity teachers. As the passion of his preaching reached a climax, he sat, he said in a loud staccato as he sliced the air with his hand like an axe. This man, T.B. Joshua of Nigeria, is a false teacher. From his sermon in front of thousands, he declared the man teaching the false message of the Bible was false. Listen to the reaction. The assembly erupted in cheers and applause. Young people clamored to greet him thereafter, speaking admiringly of his boldness. 
By now they knew him. A lion in the pulpit had become a lamb among men. He had made himself vulnerable at calling out the people who were not committed to the word of God for what it says. And they could only say repeatedly, praise God. Now, why do I tell you that story of Dudane? Let me tell you how it came about. Even before the world began, God in his amazing sovereignty saw into the hovels of Indu, a place claimed and, and placed, God placed a claim on one of the little boys who ran and played among the muddy paths in Cameroon. A child unacknowledged by his earthly father did not know his dad and deemed unacceptable by who had the potential to be his stepfather. Even his family name, Tom Fu, was made up as he didn't quite fit in the genealogies so important to tribal society. His given name, Dudane, rightly proclaims in French that he is a gift of God. The man writing this article wrote last week how Dudane is a barber in Cameroon. He says, please don't picture your barbershop. Please picture a guy in a one chair street side closet. Dudane used to scoff. Listen to me, I'm about done. At students from the nearby Cameroonian Baptist Theological Seminary who would stop in for a trim. He used to make fun of them because they said they believed the word of God and Jesus. He scoffed at them. That is, until one day one of the students said... Dudane, if you will argue with us, dear barber, you must first read our book. He did, and still to this very day is greeted as Reverend Barber, the preacher in Cameroon who holds Jesus as the forgiver of sins. Ha! Folks in Fairdale and in Kentucky and in the world, there's a lot of different messages out there of what God's like. And on top of the different messages out there of what God's like, our lives seem to complicate it even more. Let's be a people of the book. If you want your sins forgiven, trust the forgiver who sent his son in love to die for your sins. And if you'll believe that and repent, you can be his. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Exodus chapter 24. Moses in the cloud of glory. In a relationship with God Almighty. Because you are able to forgive sins. Oh, Father, humble your church. Show us what it means to need forgiveness. And yet have the strength to repent and seek it. God, move in our hearts. And may it be that our relationship is strong with you because we have heard what you've said in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.